Shack Baggerly. Shack Baggerly. Hello and welcome to the 17th episode of Shack Bagley. And as always, a huge thank you for listening, subscribing and getting in touch too. We love hearing from you. 17 also happens to be the number of muscles controlling a dog's ear. Laughs a person has each day on average. And goldfish bowls left on public transport in Tokyo in 1979. In the week that we heard that the dish Beef Stroganoff is making a comeback, once again, Howard and I were on the lookout for old recipe books. I splashed out on another book, literally was one that said about splashes. But I quite like that, actually. Yeah. I like to see a book that's got a few, uh, a few little stains on it. Well, it's history. Uh, well, <laughs> provided the cookery stains, anyway. <laughs> it's called... Uh, Food for the Greedy uh, by Nancy Shaw. Oh. Yeah, first published November 1936 and second impression December 1936, so it was very popular. And then revised and reissued in November 1951. But it's interesting that the su- you know the subtitle of it is a collection of receipts. Apparently, that was the old word for a recipe. I think it's mentioned in in kind of Canterbury Tales and things like that. Mm. It says, "Oh yeah, we re- we recommend folding this new fact into your dinner party repertoire, then telling over a glass of wine until your friends are impressed." I'm not sure they would be that impressed by the idea of <laughs> of knowing that receipt was the old name for and, a uh, recipe. And how long would you give them to be impressed? And how long would you keep persevering? Well, this is it, yes. And you'd have to keep pouring the wine, I think, wouldn't you? <laughs> Would you like another glass? Are you impressed yet? <laughs> it's an unusual name, Food for the Greedy. And, and she says, the receipts which I have assembled in this small book are ones which I regularly use in my own home. Then she says, the receipts are perfectly simple to make, but demand a knowledge of the rudiments of cooking. I have not attempted to include receipts for the fundamentals, e.g. bechamel sauce, panard, etc., which are to be found in every other cookery book. I've just seen um, somebody done a review on here. The very first recipe in the book is for a dish called potassium soup. Is that right, It is. It is. (laughs) Buy it from, from Lord Cobham. Right, oh. so she's not even written all these recipes. She's just collected them from various people that she knows. <laughs> Potassium soup. So he he has um, various things in his carrots, onions, celery, a third of a can of okra. Is that that little green thing? Yeah, like sometimes called ladies' fingers, and I think I think some people pronounce it okra as well, oh. but. But I'm surprised. I, I again, it's funny, isn't it? I thought that was sort of quite modern. That vegetable, Howard? Yeah, Ooh, I would yeah. have thought so. But Lord Cobham has obviously been able to purchase it at his good class grocers. I'm, I'm, I mean, that is literally the the first page. So I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to turning over and going on to another page as well. <laughs> potassium, though, when it says, what was it, a soup? It was uh, potassium soup. Right. Yeah. Because potassium... So apparently okra is quite high in, in potassium, I think, isn't it? Because I always think of bananas for potassium. Banana soup? No. Yeah. 
But I, I suppose if this was not very long after the, the war, uh, bananas were quite hard to come by, weren't they? And as you say, you so, wouldn't have them in a soup. Has she so, got a beef uh, stroganoff in it, Howard? No, do you know what? I, look, I looked at what she's got in, in beef. Let's have a look if she's got anything beefy. <laughs> she's got a ragu. Mm-hmm. She's got a ragu of mutton babar. But what? So, <laughs> mutton babar. <laughs> babar. <laughs> <laughs> this recipe she got from the Berbers near Casablanca. They're sort of uh, no, nomadic people, aren't they, the, the Berbers? But oh. they obviously stayed around long enough to give her the recipe for ragu of mutton babar. How are you spelling babar? B-E-R-B-E-R-E. So it's like Berber, like a Berber carpet, with an E on the end. Babar. It's a spice. It's what? A spice. Is it? Berber is a hot spice mm. blend that is integral ingredient in Ethiopian cuisine, both full of flavour and heat. Oh, well, she's mixing her own up here. She's got a generous quantity of powdered paprika, small quantity of saffron, a pinch of curry powder, a pinch of cinnamon, good pinch of powdered... She's, she's put cumin uh, rather than cumin, but... Cumin! Cumin! <laughs> uh, <laughs> pinch of powdered cloves, thyme, bay leaves, two or three, and wild parsley. Not ordinary parsley, or the taste is ruined, she says. It does she? How to make a berber, or a berber, and it is whole spice. <laughs> <laughs> what was that elephant called? That was Baba the elephant, wasn't it? Baba the elephant. Baba. Baba. <laughs> elephant. Baba the elephant. Hey, you're right. Yeah. Fictional elephant character who first appeared in 1931 in the French children's book Histoire de Babur by Jean de Brunoff. And the book is based on a tale that Brunoff's wife Cecile had invented for their children. I'll tell you what it looks like, and then I was going to say it sounds like Bambi. It tells of a young elephant named Barbar whose mother's killed by a hunter. Well, that's what happened to Bambi, wasn't it, oh. as he ran across the field? Did me a mischief, yeah. that did. But I, well, I wonder if that came, which one came first. I think Barbar would have come first, wouldn't it? But Barbar, doesn't it mean a beard or something like that in French? That's a barber. Oh, we talking a lot of Barbar. <laughs> yeah, or pronounce how to, oh, thank goodness for this ego, how to pronounce Berber, phonetically pronounced as Berberay. Berber. Well, they make handbags. Berberay? It's not pronounced that, is it? Berberay. Berberay. <laughs> That's how you pronounce it. Berberay. Berberay. Is it? And I thought it was Berber. Now, <laughs> no. That's a totally different thing. A bear, bear. Bear, bear. Oh, poor little thing. Put some clothes on. A bear, bear. <laughs> I remember when I was little. And I went into a was it was read no it was a reading competition or something I was only little, and there was something about a bear, and I got to his bear with furry knickers, and I just burst into to embarrassed laughter and ran off. Yeah, it was a poem about a bear with knickers, furry knickers. So let me see if I can find that. Oh, it was A. A. Milne. Wrote a poem about a, a bear with furry knickers. If I were a bear and a big bear too, I shouldn't much care if it froze or snew. I shouldn't much mind if it snowed or frizz. I'd be all fur lined with a coat like his. 
for I'd have fur boots and a brown fur wrap and brown fur knickers and a big fur cap. But I got to the big fur knickers, <laughs> promptly burst into the and ran off the thing. Yes, it's A.A. Milne. We're at the moment trying to lose a bit of weight. About two days we've been into this diet. Oh, it's terrible. I hate it. I said to Peter this morning, I feel as if we're living like monks. And I think I think even monks, actually, some of them make their own alcohol, don't they? So at least you can... Uh... So you know why? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing then? What, what? I mean, there's nothing of you, lad, but what what you... Oh, there is. I've put, I've put weight on around my tummy and everything still fits, but it's just a little bit, a bit tighter. I actually bought some shorts the other day, uh, so I know that I can still fit in the same size shorts that I used to wear. It's just I've got a belly that's hanging over the top of them. Oh. So the waist is there underneath. It's just the this excess flesh. It's finding there. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the mum said to me, did you go in the changing room on your own? I said, yes, of course I did. I don't know anything. She thought it was like a communal changing room. No, not not in these times. Oh. You've got to have, have like individual changing rooms. But do you remember that's all we had? Yeah. Awful. Yeah. At one point. Yeah. yeah. And there, and you'd walk oh, no. in and there was some gorgeous body beauty thing in the corner and you you feel it out you straight away thinking, Oh god, as you as you slip and try yeah. something on in the other corner, looking very small and they're strutting about and all this. And then you can always get the guy, don't you, the, the, the husband or the husband or a partner yeah. sitting outside on the chair waiting. Yeah, communal changing rooms. Ooh. But you're still running. Yeah, I am still running. I went for some new uh, glasses, but they did this test and they said, looking at the back of your eye, it's probably worth you having a, a blood pressure test. So as a result of that, we've now cut down on well i've cut down on salt i'm not having any crisps or anything like that mm. and uh, i'm not having wine at the moment i just feel now kind of sitting watching tv at night what is life for no pleasure whatsoever how have a cup of tea or a glass of water how nice this this is only day two <laughs> no <laughs> Oh, bless you. Well, I, I feel a bit guilty, really, because we're going to be talking about a, a book that I, I want to buy. It's a book by Florence Cowles. Have you heard of her? Oh, no, I haven't. And it's simply called 500 Sandwiches. First thing when I read that, I thought, Katie Mellower, that would have been a whole different hit, wouldn't it? Instead of 9 million yeah, bicycles in Beijing. <laughs> It's 500 sandwiches in your, in your lunchbox or something. So, yes, yeah, so I, I found this. She has, and I kid you not, on page 84 and 85, baked bean sandwich one, baked bean sandwich two, baked bean sandwich three. <laughs> baked bean sandwich three, half a cup of baked beans, one tablespoon of tomato sauce, olive oil to soften and seasoning of salt and pepper. Spread between slices of brown bread. Butter may be used if desired, but the olive oil takes its place. Baked bean two, mash the baked beans free from lumps. So it's like a sort of hummusy type thing then, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. Nice. And then on the first one, it's adding mayonnaise or boiled dressing. What's a boiled dressing? Boiled dressing. That sounds like a, a sort of sticking plaster as as sort of fallen into <laughs> boiled dressing like oh. a bandage that's been heated up in a pan oh no 
Oh. In the 1800s, in both North America and in Britain, salads were becoming more popular. In the absence of oils to dress them, a boiled salad dressing was the answer. A boiled dressing can be thought of as a sort of hollandaise sauce. Oh, oh well, that makes a bit of sense. No, I am telling you boiled dressings, but I do remember when we were little, uh, we used to go into John Lewis in Sheffield, sadly. It's closed recently. It was called Colbert's at the time, and they had a little cafe in there, and they used to have sandwiches on, like, a rotating display case, and they had baked bean sandwiches in there, which always, at the time, seemed an odd thing. Clearly, it's following in a tradition. And this is the three of the recipes of the 500. Mind you, if she has, if she has three versions of each sandwich, that's not going to be 500 sandwiches, is it? I don't think you'd get away with that now if you were putting together a book proposal, would you? That that you've got (laughs) three baked bean sandwiches, (laughs) 24 cheese sandwiches. (laughs) Could have different sandwiches with different sorts of lettuce. You could have a cob lettuce lettuce sandwich, couldn't you? Could have a butterhead. You just do everything on white bread and then do it on brown bread. So it's like... (laughs) (laughs) So so I'm going to see if I can get this. (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been having a look in a couple of them. So, I be, because Nancy Shaw's Food for the Greedy has not really had a good uh, airing. Um, certainly, again, by the smell of it, it's it's in need of a good airing. I'd mentioned before about uh, this book. She's basically compiled what she calls receipts from various other people. Uh, and there's one here from Lady Robertson, which is called Audley End Pudding. It's two tablespoons of cornflour, a gill of cream. Oh, don't get us started again on gills. <laughs> two ounces of butter, a pint of milk and a little sugar. Put all this into a saucepan. Stir over the fire till it boils. Let it boil a couple of minutes or so, but do not let it get thick. Pour into a shallow fireproof dish and let it simmer gently. 20 minutes in a coolidge oven. I've never thought of anything simmering in the oven because you sort of lose the ability to be able to keep an eye on it, mm-hmm. don't you? Yeah. Anyway, the mixture must only be like thick cream just before serving. Strew, strew brown sugar on top and turn it into a crisp caramel under the grill. Pudding is like a glorified cornflour pudding and most excellent. It's not necessary to use the cream, but of course better if it can be got. And I thought, I don't know where Audley End is. So I was I was doing a little research to see whether Lady Robertson actually came from Audley End. But it appears to me that she was probably visiting at the time. The, uh, the owners of Audley End cooked this particular pudding for her. But then when you do a search for Audley End, it, it actually brings up all these wonderful things because it's now part of English heritage hmm. and English heritage have done these series of YouTube videos featuring Mrs. Crocombe, the cook at Audley End. They yeah. call her Avis, Avis Crocombe. They've done these these wonderful videos about living in, uh, obviously when Lady Robertson went and tasted Audley End pudding, it wasn't, it was in the 1920s or 30s presumably. But these are all set in Victorian times, and um, 
this Mrs. Crocombe is played by an actress called Kathy Hipperson. Uh-huh. Uh, there's, there's like there's dozens and dozens of these Victorian little videos cooking certain things, and she's really feisty. Did you have a favourite one? Uh, there's a Christmas one which is entirely inappropriate for this time of year. Uh, I've not looked at Spotted Dick yet, and I've not looked at, uh, at macaroni cheese, which seemed to me quite surprising. I thought macaroni cheese would have been a more modern uh, yeah. thing than than Victoria. But this one thing, oh, what was what was my favourite? It was, it's it's the one the apple pudding one or apple cheese, but it's called. Gatto au pom or something like that. And uh, she gives this this guy who's who's brought the apples along a bit of a, a, an earful. She's only looking for unblemished apples. Oh, and, uh, let's have a look. And she says to him, good day to you, because obviously they've got to keep this, this kind of illusion that they're actually in Victorian times. <laughs> Making a sweet custard dish for Lord Braybrook. Would you like me to show you how? Yes, please. Well, firstly, I set a custard, and then I've cut it up into squares, and I'm piling it in this dish like a mountain. It's called Snilmilch, and I read it was one of the favourites of the Queen's children when they were your age. We have to cook for Lord and Lady Braybrook and all their guests, as well as all the servants. And the servants don't eat the same dishes as Lord and Lady Braybrook, so we do have to make a lot of food. You've read some good finds, you do, H. <laughs> I love anything like that. So that's English heritage. Mind you, I remember we did um, used to do a lot with Shugborough Hall in Staffordshire. And you've been to Shugborough Hall, I think. We yes, did a festival yeah, there. Yeah. And fabulous place. And they have reenactments in all the, the kitchen. And, and it's fabulous, isn't it? And I find a lot of the National Trust properties do that. Do you ever fancy yeah. volunteering? I, I was going to ask you whether you'd any, ever done any kind of reenactment or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have a dress up? Well, a fancy dress. When I was younger, I love fancy dress. <laughs> I think for my 18th birthday, it was my 21st birthday. And all my pals came dressed up. And uh, I was going through a stage of um, a bit body self-conscious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're going to love this. <laughs> I dressed up as a clown. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll have to root out the picture. Oh, dear. I know. I mean, I have to say... I'm scared just thinking about it. I know, <laughs> I know. And I never really thought about that. But you asked me, you see, that was it. Yeah, yeah so clown. Yeah. When they work with a beeb, I dressed up as Pudsy a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Pudsy bear. Um, See, that frightens me as well. I, you know, I, I did a thing at the children's hospital a, a, a few years ago, and the character who represents children's hospital in Sheffield is, is a bear. And I went out, I baked a cake, and we went round to, uh, to certain wards. And, do you know, I was so glad it was a hot day, because actually the, the bear had to go and have a little lie down. Because of, because I'm thinking it's quite it's quite scary actually being next to a big bear. Yeah, do you know that's really spooky? Because this last week, remember I used to be in farming, and yeah, I started. Yeah. So I went to agricultural college, and when I was at agricultural college in Cheshire, we're going back a long, long time. I started the very first what we call Rag Week, so it's for charity, oh, yeah. charity. And even all these years later, it's still going, which is brilliant. Well, the college is celebrating 100 years in existence this year. So they've been in touch to talk about the rag and, and send pictures and stuff. 
and it reminded me that you're saying about dressing up we had all floats one of the things we were doing parade in in two towns and we all did our own floats each course and whatever it was a fabulous atmosphere brought everybody together i didn't know who was in it at the time but somebody was dressed as a gorilla and it was a really really good costume howard so good and they were doing all the the noises they were doing their arms and then the way they they walk they sort of sway don't they next thing he's chasing me well that it frits me to death i tell you i don't run the only times i run is if i haven't been chased or i'm chasing something oh this thing and, I, and took his um uh, the lid off and it was the head of engineering at the college i could have i tell you i could have swung for him yeah but when you don't know who's in it that made it worse oh, this is it yeah it could be anybody in a gorilla costume oh. i uh i'm was out this morning and um I apparently I don't go out enough because people were talking another language to me. So, for instance, if I said to you, as regards drinks, Howard, do you know what a woo woo is? A woo woo. A woo woo. Is it a cocktail? It's a yes. cocktail. Yes. Yeah. Woo woo. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> would you know what it's based with? No, no, I couldn't make you a woo woo. Peach snaps. <laughs> so it's got yeah, peach snaps. But I'd never heard of a woo woo. Was it's... there a song? Daddy wouldn't buy me a woo woo. No, lay off of my Dad, tutu. No. Daddy wouldn't buy me a woo-woo. Oh, it's a bow-wow, isn't it? It's about a dog, I think. <laughs> the popular cocktail woo-woo is thought to have been invented in a now-closed first edition bar in Bayside, New York. Every time the Mets scored, the bartender shouted woo-woo and gave a round of the cocktail to the patrons. Bambi, a young fawn chosen to become the next prince of the forest, like his father, was released by Disney on the 8th of August, 1942. Sir Howard was right. Barbar the Elephant came first, appearing in 1931. That's it then for another week. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Do I want a baked bean sandwich number two? No, I'm alright, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>